day and welcome on board the Good Ship Talking Space for Monday, October 13th, 2014. My name is Gene McCalka and I'm here with the usual set of suspects plus one special guest. Uh, good evening, Mark Ratterman. How you doing, sir? Good to be here. Howdy, howdy. And we have with us uh, the infamous Craftless, a.k.a. Cassie Tamanini. How you doing there, ma'am? Doing well. Happy to be back. And I'm happy to have you here. And, uh, hey, Cassie, we've got a special guest tonight. And you both did some really good work. And that, that's what we're going to profile here. And now, ju- just to, to give our listeners a, a heads up, both you and our guest tonight uh, were at the uh, International Astronomical Congress just a couple of weeks ago. And anybody who was anybody in spaceflight was there giving a paper, giving presentations, paper, and so on. We're going to go into some of that a little later, later on, but uh, for this particular program, we're going to go ahead and focus in a, on exactly what you and our guest were talking about there. So why don't you go ahead and introduce her there, Cass? Okay. Well, our special guest tonight is Catherine Robison, um, also known as Cat or Catro on the internet. She studies uh, social uh, rhetorical strategy, which it fell right into our purview, but we made it a space thing by talking about how NASA has used social media to reach a larger audience using hashtags. Kat is currently a graduate student at Youngstown State University, and she is just the best lead author someone could possibly hope to work with because she took me, who has never written something like this or worked on something like this, and taught me how to write a paper as well as uh, being a great collaborator. So I'm glad to have her here on the show now. Uh, thanks so much, Cassie. That was a wonderful introduction, and I was just as happy to have you doing all the grunt research work for me on this. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Kat, real, real quick, could you go into a little bit about what you and 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 Cassie were collaborating with, and how did this whole thing come about? Yeah, absolutely. So, the paper that we did for IAC, the International Astronautical Congress, was called Hashtag for Outreach. Basically, what we were doing was looking at the use of hashtags on social media as a tool for participatory public outreach. This work also built on some previous research I had done into the Space Tweep community of large, looking at it as sort of an um, imagined community or a discourse community that used hashtags and other um, items on social media like that as a sort of specialized discourse in order to clue the community in on what they were talking about or what was being done. So kind of looking at this and looking at this community of space fans as an actual community or an imagined community, which is one that isn't reliant on face-to-face interaction to exist, although there's often uh, face-to-face interaction when you come to the space community. So we looked at this community using things like hashtags that were originated both by NASA and by the community um, to basically get NASA's message out. And we looked at whether or not this was effective and how far we thought it would go and where might we have to look at it in the future to see whether or not, you know, as we know, NASA is the largest government agency on social media, has Mm -hmm. the most public social media face and the most following. Um, So we really wanted to see is, is this public face and public engagement of NASA translating into something more? So that was the basis of our of our research. And we should point out that NASA is not only the most popular government agency, but their following on Twitter far surpasses a lot of big brands, big celebrities. They've they've really taken social media to a whole new level. Absolutely. They're consistently recognized um, for their use of social media. Um, one thing that we talked about in our paper was their use of social media during the Oscars and their Real Gravity campaign. And on every single industry site that looked at marketing research or social media research, they were consistently in the top five companies that night. So they really you know, have gone above and beyond uh, what anyone would have expected a government agency to, to be able to do. I mean, just for comparison, the White House has, um, I think, something around 2 million followers. 
uh, on Twitter, and NASA has um, getting very close to eight million now. They're about seven point eight million right now. So you know they're they are above and beyond any other government agency. So let, let's go into the methods a little bit about how you went about trying to prove this hypothesis. What was the first thing you folks decided to go ahead and do as far as getting all the data together and, and how it was all collected? I'll just give like a broad overview and then I'll hand it over to Cassie because Cassie really did a good majority of the data gathering for me. Okay. Um, but broadly, we really wanted to look who was using hashtags and how hashtags were being used. Um, we also did uh, some in-person data gathering. I went to a NASA social um, uh, for a launch to kind of see why people were using it. But as for how we gathered and how we did some of the observations, I'll let Cassie talk about that because she uh, was pretty amazing in the way that she was able to get some information and, and get track impressions. Yeah, I actually, um, we did it. We used a few different methods. We used sources such as Mashable that follow social media and marketing. And we also used HashTracker and uh, what was it? Keyhole to, uh, we looked at a few hashtags through those. And then for OCO2, we focused on the hashtag OCO2 because it was a smaller launch and would give us an idea of, you know, how much of a spread a so the launch had a NASA social associated with it. It was a social media accreditation right. for that. Right. And so we wanted to see the reach of a launch such as that. And the reach was actually amazing. It reached millions of people. And so for that, I actually used a Google script to capture from the Twitter API directly all the tweets. And then I analyzed that data myself. And I will say, just since you brought it up, maybe we should, for any of our listeners who might not uh, be aware of the difference between a NASA social and a NASA social media accreditation event because it actually was important in our paper. And I'm sure we'll go into more detail on that a little bit later. But NASA socials are randomly selected social media followers who are invited to attend an event. These events typically tend to be larger with 100 to 150 attendees. Um, social media accreditation you actually go through the same accreditation process that you go through as a member of the traditional news media. Mm -hmm. And um, these guests are, you can apply for social media accreditation, but also NASA invites people um, whom they think have an interesting and unique follower base. And so it's more of a curated audience for the specific event than you would at a random selection NASA social and I should point out, too, that uh, I believe it's quoted in your paper, actually, that John Yembrick said that that's what they're moving toward. They're, yes. They, they're really, with, with, the, um, with, with, with accrediting social media and so on, they really want to get a bunch of hardcore folks that are really using social media out there and have, I guess, really a diverse audience. Am I, am I correct on that? Yeah, absolutely. And this is something when I went out to the um, event for uh, OCO2 or the Orbiting Carbon Observatory 2, um, that I was really, my foremost concern is, you know, are we just preaching to the choir? Yeah. Is NASA Social just talking to the space fans? And one thing that became just immediately clear is that the shift that has happened within NASA Social, um, within you know, not only just at headquarters, but within, um, you know, even at JPL, that there's a shift of, of we have our fans, our fans are going to be with us, and we still want to, you know, we still find them important, and we know that they're our base, but we need to start reaching out to new audiences and new people, and the way to do that is not, you know, having a budget like Coca-Cola and just doing TV ads, but is to reaching out to people who are influencers and not necessarily, you know, I have a million followers, fluencer, influencers, but people who actually have the ability to speak into a demographic that NASA wouldn't necessarily reach. Uh, for instance, we had someone um, at the OCO2 social who was um, a pundit. We had educators, we had celebrities, uh, Ryan uh, Blake, Ryan, Mo I think it's Malardi is his actual name, but he goes by, um, Ryan, he was a uh, a TV personality on an MTV show, mm. uh, and then we also had um, some C COOs, CEOs, uh, CMOs. So pretty much, you know, the gamut when you get to the people who are running corporations, and just a really interesting group of people um, that were specifically chosen because they had a voice 
into a community that NASA wouldn't particularly have. And as anyone who does any sort of marketing or social media research will tell you, people listen to their friends over anyone else. So a personal recommendation has more weight and more value than the recommendation of a government agency. And so what the NASA social media accreditation process strives to do is not only to give the same access to members of the social media as the traditional press, mm-hmm. but also to create that idea of someone who can speak on behalf of NASA with authority to a group that they can't necessarily reach on their own. Yeah, I've, I've actually found that out myself, but that's through some other, other means. Uh, one of the things I really want to go over with you guys is the government shutdown. And a group of us, and I kind of jumped on that bandwagon myself, and Mark, I think you did too, uh, the uh, infamous uh, things NASA might tweet hashtag. What were the the end results that you saw with that? What what was sort of the repercussions from that moving forward that you saw um, as a result of all that? And then when NASA came back, they were just absolutely, you know, they were thanking everybody right and left. I mean, I remember getting, you know, some sort of pat on the back from a couple of folks over at JPL because I was really busy with the Juno stuff. But um, when it had its uh, encounter here with Earth and did its gravity assist, but... What was the impact that you saw of the things that NASA might tweet, hashtag, during the the shutdown? I mean, it was phenomenal, really. Um, Over 17 million impressions from a a relatively small group of users. Another kind of interesting about the small group of users who who actually tweeted things NASA might tweet, 60% of them were female. And when you talk about an agency that's interested in STEM, when you get a high female demographic, that's amazing. Um, But what was really interesting and unique about this is basically for the first time in history, an interested international public stepped in on behalf of a U.S. government agency. Because of the shutdown, uh, NASA could no longer perform uh, duties that were considered non-essential and outreach and social media are considered non-essential duties. Um, But because of what was going on that time during NASA and what is always going on at NASA is something interesting, um, something important to the study of Earth or something important to the study of where we come from, that users like you guys, I know I tweeted with this hashtag several times, you know, stepped in and said, hey, here's something NASA might tweet if they were able to. And we're trending several times in several different um, uh, locations, you know, large cities would get this hashtag trending. There's also a specific time set aside to talk about things NASA might tweet. Um, and some really grassroots community organization. And I think this, perhaps more than anything else in our paper, really demonstrated that the engagement that NASA has engendered on social media is paying dividends. They are making people look at what NASA is doing. There was a gap, you know, that needed to be filled when NASA wasn't able to tweet. You know, people might have just missed their daily pretty space picture, but (laughs) for some people it was like, no, 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 this is an opportunity to step up and say, NASA isn't just about what's pretty. NASA is about the science that it's doing. NASA is about benefits to humanity because of weather satellites. NASA is about... um, doing something bigger than a government shutdown. You know, NASA, the importance of NASA transcends the importance of a national budget. And I think it was a really great message and just phenomenal and historical that uh, international public, you know, not just U.S. citizens, but an international public was willing to step up and share great information with the public on behalf of an agency that wasn't able to. I mean, it was really just phenomenal and the impact that it had you know, it was written about on various uh, outlets, you know, national, uh, got a CNN mention, a Slate.com mention. I mean, it was really, uh, really quite, quite large. And also, actually, this is really interesting. Something I found looking through all of these tweets that we were looking at was there's actually an account on Twitter called NASA Arabic that <laughs> tweets 
it takes NASA tweets or tweets about NASA and translates them into Arabic. So everything that NASA tweets or that gets, you know, retweeted, bounced around the space community actually gets tweeted in Arabic, which opens it up to a huge portion of the Earth's population, including within our own country. And so the fact that people are doing these things, are creating these accounts, NASA only tweets in English, but all these other people are tweeting in other languages about them, are really stepping up to the plate. And that's a whole different level because it's not just the support within America that we're seeing. We saw OCO2 alone got 21 languages that it was being tweeted about in using that hashtag. So... It's actually like, I mean, people are providing a translation service, <laughs> you know, just for fun. <laughs> that's that, that's kind of cool. So, again, the, you know, the message that NASA is trying to fire out, the science and technology message that NASA is trying to get out, in your opinion, guys, it, it just seems that it's it's sort of transcending even uh, – you know, even the the you know, the the I don't want to say the English speaking world, but we all know that you know East is involved and so on. But it it's it's just out there for anybody to go ahead and grab and 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 play with and and do whatever they need need to do or yeah. want to do with it. Which Absolutely, is, NASA which is NASA is the flagship space agency for the world. You know, of course, you know there's JAXA, the Chinese space agency, ESA. Uh, Canadian Space Agency, Mexico has a space agency, South Africa, I mean, all over the world. Um, and obviously, Russian Space Agency, you can't forget them. But, you know, <laughs> oh, boy, we can't forget them. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, but when you think about going to space, and I've traveled all over the world and had these conversations all over the world, it doesn't matter where you are typically – um, people think of NASA when you think of going to space. And I think that gives, there's a great responsibility on NASA to, to understand how much impact that they have. And I think that they do, especially if you look at the way the social media strategies have been. Um, you don't very often get um, messages from NASA on their flagship social media accounts that can't apply to everyone in the world. It's definitely not a, hey, look at the, the great things only Americans can care about. It's, it's definitely like, look at these amazing things that are benefits for the world. Um, you know, OCO2 was part of the, these Earth science missions that were launching, and the hashtag right. that's associated with that is Earth right now. And um, we also talk about in the paper about the NASA Global Selfie. You know, NASA, to celebrate Earth Day, reached out and asked people all over the world to, to step outside and take a picture of themselves and say, where are you on Earth? And they ended up creating this mosaic image of the world made up of people from all over the world. It's really astonishing the global impact that NASA has, not just obviously on space and space exploration, but in shaping what we as humanity think about space. One of the things that really, really jumped out at me, and I'm, I'm looking directly at page three toward the, the, the bottom half here, was the the budget question and mm -hmm. and some of the things that you folks ran into i mean i will i'm, I'm just going to quote the paper right offhand uh one sentiment that we constantly ran into was the idea that nasa was a waste of taxpayer money either perceived as receiving too much of the budget or as an unwise use of limited government funds or often both uh one of the, the questions that you did fire out at, at some of the people was, what did you think really the NASA budget was? You know, everybody was saying, you know, 50%. God, I wish. Um, <laughs> right? You know, uh, you know, I mean, shoot, if it was 50% of the national budget, good Lord, we'd have like, you know, the, the, the Starship Enterprise up there for <laughs> Lord's sake. But... Um, uh, it, you know, it, it's I, I, how much of that did you really, really find out there, and 
what was the the audience that you hit? Were, were you looking at at folks that were attending the tweet up, or were you looking, or, or not the tweet up? I'm old school. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. The the the, uh, the it'll always be a tweet up to us. Exactly. Yeah, those of us who made it to NASA tweet ups just that stuck for us. <laughs> um, we're all old school here. Yeah, meanwhile, back at the ranch. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pass this well, question off to Cassie because this is really part of her research. Yeah, because this is one of the things that bothered that that constantly bother me that the NASA the, the the people don't realize how much really 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 the budget is in comparison to to what you know what 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 it in reality what NASA really really ends up getting and uh, the the misconceptions out there are just amazing. And I would say one caveat to this before Cassie starts is that, you know, we think about it in terms of people don't realize how much NASA makes. In general, the American population does not have a very informed idea of the budget in the first place. So that being said, let Cassie talk about specifically NASA. And and it's true. It's so true, Kat. I mean, they they have no idea how much we spend on education. Um, the only the only thing that really gets attention that people you know think, oh, we spend a lot on that is defense, because undeniably we spend a lot on defense. <laughs> um, but it's it's quite incredible the misperceptions. And somebody said something to me the other day. I wish I could remember who about people's perception of NASA. They just think, well, look at all these cool things they do. They must get a huge budget. And, you know, people also think that NASA is much more involved in defense than it currently is. It used to be, of course, but people think it still gets defense budget money, which I didn't touch on that in the paper. But uh, that was that's a sub question that I have asked people. And there is often that misperception that it's part of the defense budget. And the defense budget is so big that people just assume NASA gets a huge budget. So um, but I where I did this research was actually in Times Square. Um, back in 2011, um, a Twitter user, um, Ocean Chick 99 started making a crowdsourced movie called yes. Unanimous. And she asked me to go to Times Square and do man on the street interviews. So I literally stood in the middle of Times Square. She had a camera, I had a microphone and I just stopped people and asked them questions about NASA. And it was a bunch of questions, but the budget question we asked pretty much everyone. And what I found was... Almost everybody that was American specifically thought it was about 5 to 50% of the budget. People from other countries were actually much better informed about our own budget breakdown. Wow, that's scary. Yeah. Well, I, I also found some scary things like Americans could barely name an astronaut. Some of them knew Buzz Aldrin because at the time he was on Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> People oh, from ouch. other countries could name current missions. And I found specifically people from India are super excited about space and especially the ones who, you know, could afford to travel to New York. I'm sure that they're, you know, that that's a particularly well-educated sample. It was absolutely incredible and like how much they knew about our space program. Um, but Americans were very, very misinformed. And I think that's part of the problem with getting people to care about NASA's budget is when they think it's huge, they don't understand why we're asking to double it, you know, like with the penny for NASA campaign, for example. They they, they don't understand that doubling NASA's budget <laughs> is still less than 1%. Why, you know, all right, I'm going to open this up to everybody, uh, this this next question. Why do you think that is? Why do you think there's there's a disconnect you know here in the United States with our own people that are actually paying for all of this, and yet when you go ahead and talk to somebody say from India or Japan or the u k or anywhere like that, they've got a better understanding of what the devil's happening everybody just you know kind of sort of pile in it, it I think and it comes down to to media consumption, what people watch on media. We in America tend to focus on crisis media, the things that we focus on. I mean, if you look at the news right now, pretty much all you're going to hear about is ISIS, Ebola, um, maybe a few mentions that we have some midterm elections coming up, but we focus on crisis reporting in this country. If you look at international media and international press and even local press from other countries, um, you get a much more balance. They cover not only their own things in, in a more 
comprehensive way, but they tend to cover American politics, especially in a much more balanced way. If their country like India has, you know, a young but very wonderful space agency, especially the first time that anyone's ever successfully launched a mission to Mars and succeeded on its first try with the uh, mom mission. So other people are paying attention to what America does because of our place in, in the in the world. Um, Americans get myopic and we don't pay attention to it because we have the luxury of being, you know, one of the G8, being a superpower. So we tend to to only focus in on what we deem as important. And when it comes to budget and politi- policy issues, especially in the last 10, 15 years or so, those conversations have been dominated by war spending and welfare program spending. Um, so pretty much anything that doesn't fall within those two falls to the wayside. And you have to kind of go hunting to get any of that information. It's not very easily um, obtainable uh, just from a simple Google search even. Sometimes you have to do some hunting to find those budget line items. Anybody else want to chime in on that before we move on? Well, I I think that, um, I think Kat has it exactly right. And I also think in, in particular, there are certain countries that America watch particularly strongly. Um, I, I think India has a tendency to do that because India is a rising superpower. They're, they're aiming, they're, I would, I was actually just reading a global report about how by 2025, they, they'll be the number two or three superpower in the world. They're looking at us very carefully. They're looking at every number in our budget. They're looking at us in a different way than we are. Like Kat said, we have the luxury to put, you know, Beyonce's latest exploits on the, on the local news. There's a lot of places that don't actually have that luxury. They have to pay a lot more attention. And so it's, I think it's a cultural issue. Mm-hmm. We're we're happy with our position. <laughs> hey, Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot. What do you you know? What do you think? Well, I'll give you my my personal observation. And every now and then, when I when I bring up my my background and my work, uh, you know, my work, my career, it's sort of unique. I, I work for the FAA. I'm an electronics technician. Uh, I've been interested in technology. I work in a in a very technical job, very specialized job. I work with people also like that. And yet, amongst coworkers, amongst uh, family to some extent, not 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 so much family that's out in the cold here, but by and large, people that I'm in contact with don't have any awareness, any interest, etc on NASA. They really don't the The only thing that I occasionally hear at work um, is a, a criticism from several years ago <laughs> about NASA and China, and I don't even recall the the comment, but it, it just something that has no basis in fact, just a distortion of of what happened a few years ago. Now, in the online world, amongst the Twitterverse and facebook and and whatever, uh, yeah, I have many, many contacts that are very focused, interested, and and looking for things to happen. But in the in real life, in the face to face world, not so. I'm gonna, Mark. I'm gonna throw it over to you for a little bit. I've been sort of hogging the mic here here for a while, which I do apologize for. I'm sure you've got a couple of questions here too, with reference to all this mess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this um, this kind of goes in, a, in a, a bit of a different direction. I hope it's not uh, breaking the chain of thought. But how was this paper received, the information that, that you worked uh, so hard and that you're bringing to us, how was it received at the IAC uh, event? Well, for starters, I should point out, that Chris Hadfield was get, receiving an award at the same time as our paper. Oh, God. <laughs> we had the worst oh, no. possible. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> um, however, our session did have quite a few people, um, including specifically some social media people and including people that we knew from Twitter and, and that we met <laughs> there that we knew from Twitter. So it, there was definitely some interest. We actually, I would say, had a pretty good turnout considering, right, Kat? <laughs> oh, yeah, no. Absolutely. I think um, it was it was very well received, especially from the people looking at where do we go from here? Is social media going to yield results? 
for not only NASA, but just for space exploration in, gener- in, in general. And one thing that um, I think when we talk about like how it was received, and one of the things that, that we looked at in this paper is we definitely saw through our research that there's this disconnect between the people who are supporting NASA, you know, whether it be within the space community, like fans of NASA, or even people who are casually interested um, through connection with seeing something on social media, and an ability to act on that interest. And so one thing that that we really kind of saw and, and with some of the feedback that we received is I actually talked to several um, advocacy groups and were like, who, would, who said to us, oh, we're an advocacy group. We need all of your excited people to get involved with us so that we can go and advocate for, you know, more funding or whatever it is. Because as, as you know, we know, NASA cannot advocate on its own behalf for funding um, because it is a government agency. It cannot do that. And one thing that I think a general agreement, you know, within the space community, especially space tweets and fans, is that NASA does deserve more funding. Uh, they also deserve more stable funding where, you know, you don't have to go to a year to year like, is this program going to stay? Is it going to, you know, is the SLS going to go the way of Constellation? You know, kind of, as Cassie and I were talking, I, I finally am like, okay, maybe SLS is really happening. Maybe I can get <laughs> excited about it now. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. we've, been, we've been burned. And so we really see as a result of this research that there is a need for an intermediary between the politicians and administrations that are making the decisions and the general public. Because as anyone who follows politics at all in this country knows, without money or an advocacy group or lobbying, it's really hard to get anything to happen on Capitol Hill. It just, you know, was the unfortunate reality of a post-Citizens United world. Uh, We live in, in a political atmosphere in which money talks. And so there needs to be an intermediary between these brand ambassadors that NASA creates through participatory outreach and getting that message of caring about NASA and caring about what NASA does to the decision makers, to, you know, Congress, to the Senate, and to the administration, whoever that is at the time. And so I think one thing that would be interesting to, to see is in the future are space advocacy groups like the Planetary Society or the National Space Society. You know, are they able to, to use these groups of people in a way that it actually affects policy? And I really think that you know, having millions of fans is a wonderful thing, and it's great that NASA has such public visibility But if those fans aren't willing to speak up or don't have the outlet to speak up for what they want, then it's never going to go anywhere. And I think that's really where um, I think our paper kind of highlights a hole in this process is that, you know, Penny for NASA, I mean, really got great response from people who actually did write, you know, their, their elected representatives and say that, yes, we want more funding. But there was no additional action beyond that. When the NASA budget came up this past year, you know, it wasn't a huge line item or a huge item that there were people saying we need more money. So I think that there is this kind of, there's a disconnect between what a space fan or the space community can do politically. And, and I guess it's not just in the United States. I think that there are other places where you see more support. I mean, look at the Canadian Space Agency. They put a uh, Canada arm on their $5 bill, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty, you know, pretty amazing for a, a, a country you know, to say that they're so proud of what space does that they're going to put that on their money. Um, and, 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 you know, it's just, it's, it's a robotic arm. It's like, we, we, can you imagine us actually, okay, we have put Apollo into our passports now, but could you imagine, like, our I mean, country act- on the five dollar bill, right? <laughs> well, it, that I, would be amazing. <laughs> I do. I do remember way back when, from when I was like this big, um, and I'm, I, my hand is just about touching the floor. Um, <laughs> the um, 
on the back of the Eisenhower silver dollar is the uh, Apollo 11 patch. In, in, and it was there for uh, quite some time. And then I think they shifted it to Liberty Bell with uh, the moon sort of set in the back somewhere. So yeah. it's. I think that one of, a couple of the stakeholders, too, have some space. Um, space. Yeah, Florida, I know, is Florida. one. And, I think yeah. Ohio might have as well. Yeah, um, uh, right. But there's no real, you know. Kind of even going back to this idea of like, what does the public think NASA gets? You know, I had someone, a friend of mine, um, many of you probably know Danny Sussman, the yeah. Suss on Twitter. He he has this theory, which I actually think is really interesting and, and something that I might one day look into because um, I look a little bit into public memory as well. Is that you know his generation is so scarred by having seen the Challenger mm-hmm. disaster that it created this kind of reluctance to support NASA because what if something like that happens again? Well, and there's, there's that. And actually also there's two schools of being, thought with that. Being, this, that. being the same age, there's that. And then there's also a lot of people in the same age range, the ones who saw Challenger in school specifically, just kind of stopped even thinking about NASA because it became so associated with trauma. But yeah, and that's what I'm saying is yeah. there's, a, there's a creation. And if you look, there's many academic theories, and I won't get into it because probably not a lot of people would be very interested. There's a lot of academic theories on the creation of public memory and, and how events are remembered. And that certainly can play into what a public prioritizes in the future. You know, why is NASA a priority or not now? And I will certainly argue that the prioritizing of NASA is on the rise again, um, especially in the last year or so. You've seen, um, you know, with or last two years, Mars Curiosity was very, very huge, obviously, got a lot of um, public, you know, perception, goodwill. Um, yeah, I, I was out with a few thousand people in Times Square watching yeah, that land, absolutely. and I mean, that was, the thought that you could do that for a space event, like, that would never have even occurred to me 15 years ago, that some yeah, someday people would do that for a Mars rover. And, and you know, we're, we're headed to deep space, so the way in the conversation it's going to change with NASA and with, you know, funding you know, we're, we're in such a time of flux right now. We're in between manned space programs um, actually launching. Obviously, we do have still a manned space, human space flight program, but we're between launches. Um, we're now in a, in a situation where private space and, and space flight by private companies to low Earth orbit is a reality. And it's going to be reality in just a few years that private space companies are going to be taking American astronauts to low Earth orbit. So we're really in flux right now, I think, um, with what the public thinks. And so I think it'll be interesting to see in the next five to 10 years um, whether or not the public speaks out about how it feels about funding. And I think that there's a there is a place for social media within that conversation and a very important place because, you know, most people get their news now from social media. When news breaks, they're not getting it from traditional news media anymore. They're getting it from social media. And I think that, you know, to go back to our paper, NASA has been very savvy in developing social media followers that are savvy social media users because they no longer have access to traditional news media the same way that they did 20 or 30 years ago, you know. News agencies do not have the resources anymore to send out anyone to cover even larger launches, much less a small launch like the OCO2 one that we went to. Right. So it's a very savvy, savvy thing that NASA is doing with the way it's, it's working at social media. And I think that they see that if they want to make an impact on policy, that perhaps social media is the way to go. Hey, Mark, I'm going to throw, throw it back over to you if you've got, you got anything else. Yeah, just uh, a thought that came to mind as as Kat was speaking about the, uh, I guess, traditional media. I remember talking to uh, one of the NASA staff at Kennedy Space Center in probably 2010 or 2011, and they weren't real receptive to the idea of social media 
participants like the NASA Social, NASA Tweet Up back then, they weren't they weren't real receptive about it. Um, <laughs> any thoughts on on that general uh, conflict of of oh, the old boy. old way versus new? We know we know how dynamic social media is, but I really how, how, I have to say you have got to give just so much credit to the JPL NASA social media team for changing the way the agency looks at social media. I mean, the John Yemrick and Jason Townsend, you know, at HQ are amazing. But Veronica McGregor, Courtney O'Connor, and Stephanie Smith in particular, especially Veronica with arranging the first tweet up for the way that she did Mars Phoenix and really gave these sort of robotic and distant and hard to relate to missions, a human voice. And I think once the agency saw what having a human voice and what having people who cared about NASA actually did, I think then you saw some changing. And not that there aren't still people within the agency who don't see the need for social media because there's certainly still some of that, you know, Oh, you know, more social media followers to come and we have to make all these arrangements <laughs> for. But I think those who were against it have just seen how much it has raised their mission's profile in the public eye. And when you're an agency that's dependent on the public and dependent on the government for funding, you cannot afford to be left behind where the public is going. And you know- Go ahead. Yeah. You know, I, well, I was just thinking as you were saying this, a, a lot of it is a lot of like the changes that have happened at NASA in many ways um, over the years, because, you know, it used to be a very closed off agency. And um, there's still a lot of people from that era who yeah. are, you know, within NASA. And I think there's been a bit of a culture conflict within the agency mm-hmm. and this social media thing, especially bringing random public from social media into the agencies at the various centers. I think it really it, it shook a lot of that up. Like it, it, you know, it was like the, the more conservative elements got they, they, you know, they came from an era when things used to be very, very secret. And now NASA's data is open for public use and, you know, in, for a lot of programs. And uh, um, there's there's just a whole new openness in general within NASA that I think is making a lot of people very nervous because it's a huge culture shift. And it's sort of a microcosm of the culture shift that's happening in the larger world. Yeah, absolutely. I would I would agree with that. And you know, like I was saying, you, you either have to shift with the culture or you get left behind. I remember John Yembrick here, uh when we were we talked with him, Mark, if you recall, he was not exactly one of the first individuals to jump on board the social media stuff. Uh he was like, Oh boy, this is another thing. I got another log on the fire I gotta deal with. <laughs> and, and and he just was not one of the the true believers yet. But then as he got into the, it it kind of you know there was a shift somewhere along the line, and he kind of sort of how powerful of a tool this was. And he you know all of a sudden you know the, the, it dawned on him like holy wow this could really be a a monster. And uh, he got it you know he 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 slowly came around to. To believe you, and now he's running the show. So um, and, and, course, and doing a really good job at it too. I mean, yeah. he was he was really really great and to to speak with us for this research. But I mean, really, he also gave a presentation at IAC, and I was really glad to be able to sit in and see that um, and talk about NASA's use of social media and where they're going next and uh, what they're seeing. So I mean, but yeah, I mean, just NASA rocks social media to to be you know. <laughs> And the way they've learned from everything that they've done, too, um, because, you know, obviously it started small with that first tweet up, with right. that first account. And and the, the way that they've built upon it, if you actually look at it in hindsight now, was brilliant because before they could do any of what they're doing now in trying to reach a broader public, they had to shore up the choir. They had yeah, to absolutely. they had to get. Uh, all of us, like everyone on this call is a space geek, has been interested all your lives, correct? Last time I checked. So, <laughs> yeah. but 
until until you were until you were engaging with NASA on social media, did you know all these things? I mean, I've I've joked that being on Twitter is like taking a master class in NASA and how it works and what it does, you know, because I became part of this community. It's something, you know, much larger, but it had to start with, you know, let's try a tweet up and hey, what if we try a tweet up for a launch? You know, it had to build from that point and build through all of that to get to where they are now. Yeah, I mean, they really have very, and it's one thing that, that John talked about, John Yembrick talked about in his thing, is how they very carefully, you know, are looking at what do we do next? It's a, it's a thoughtful process, which I think shows in how successful they have been. They're not, you know, Often when we talked about social media at IAC, you would see someone, you know, we heard again and again, you don't give your social media to an intern. You know, yeah. it's, a, it's something that's important. And I think, you know, NASA realizes that and they've given it, you know, the importance that social media deserves in any business strategy, you know, whether it's a government agency or not, you know, you do not do well as a business in this day and age unless you have good social media and NASA has some of the best. And unless you actually strategize and work your team, like really like work it and and don't just jump on the latest fad in social media, but actually invest in each one. Like don't go on something unless you're going to invest in it. In fact, in our session, uh, Remco Timmermans or Timmermans are on Twitter. He he did a great talk that was all about this. um, And he made a good point. If you're just going to, as Kat said, throw it to an intern or something. Well, you're not going to get anything out of it because just like anything else, you get out of it what you put into it. I really liked how he um, – oh, no, I don't think he's – I think Kate actually said this, Space Kate. Um, you either get a return on an investment or your ROI is risk of ignoring. Mark, so, I know, you, Mark, I know, okay. I know you're chomping at the bit. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is um, – the thought that I've got to uh, to try and pitch out there, particularly Gene, to to see what you think about it, okay. it comes from one of the topics that we've hit here and there in the past year or so, and that's that with all of the acceptance that NASA has for social media, there are certain companies who might be best to not name names, but there are companies <laughs> that are part of the space flight industry that seem to be obstructing to some extent and to a large extent at times any information going out to the people that are most enthusiastic to to retweet it and to and to promote it gene what do you think oh boy yeah i've actually run into that and um i'm not gonna try to name names but it's been kind of how can i put it there's one firm, especially I'm not going to I'm not going to name who it is, but I think we you know, you and I, Mark, we kind of know who, who I'm talking about. Um, there have been kind of, you know, obstructionist in a little bit and 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 they haven't seen the light yet as far as this or they try to control the message a little too much to the point where it's overbearing. And I, I think. NASA, on the other hand, has basically given you know their their end users free reign to to talk about whatever the heck they want to talk about, as long as it's kind of sort of positive. Or even when if if it isn't, I mean, we've been critical of the agency on this program several times. I've been critical of them out there and in, in, on in Twitter when I think they deserve it. But God forbid if you're 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 critical of this one firm, they'll come down on you like a ton of bricks. And and this isn't to bash anybody. This is to encourage everybody because there really are some phenomenal things that happen when you when you work this right. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that one thing that's really important that comes out of that message, and I think you know we all can imagine who this one firm is, is that <laughs> time and time again, especially in the public eye on and on social media in general. It has been demonstrated that if you work too hard to control the message, it ends up blowing up in your face. It really does. You do better with open, honest communication. That's something, again, that we've tried to go ahead and, and, and put forward. And I'll, I'll say this, this much, at least NASA does that to, 
to you know a, a, a larger extent. One firm, again, they've tried to control the message. They've tried to, they've they've actually stumbled a few times. And when we we've we've noticed that you know, it, we, we when when you try to give them a, a dose of tough love, they'll come at you like you know a, a, a rabid coyote. So, you know, it's like, okay, back off and just let them do their own thing. But, you know, it, I, I guess really what I'm, what, what I'm trying to say, NASA, on the other hand, has been very, I don't, I guess really liberal as far as, as far as the way they approach this whole thing. And they really are aware of the things that they need to do better, where they can improve. Yes. When, when um, I was at, you know, at the OCO2 social and doing the research there, um, you know, Charlie Bolden, as he does in most socials, ha- takes some time to sit down and, and talk to the attendees. And there are a lot of questions about, well, what do you think NASA can do better? Or what's, you know, something you need to improve on? And I mean, it had very ready answers and really knew what things the agency needs to do on. Of course, I'm ornery and I had to ask them, <laughs> well, what do you, I was like, what do you think the agency is doing best? And for a minute, he just looked at me and he goes, that's a really good question. And you could tell he was so used to answering this, well, what do you have to improve on questions, that for him to take a minute and say, wait, what are we doing best? And I mean, and he he said, you know, he's like, it's like my children, I can't pick one, can I tell you a few things? And, and, you know, he went on and said what he thought the agency was doing, doing very well. But it was really interesting to see, you know, in other companies, if you ask them, hey, what are you doing best? It'd be an immediate off the, well, this is what we're doing best, our flagship program. And, you know... Charlie Baldwin had to take a minute and think about, you know, oh, yeah, what are we doing best? And I thought it was just a little, an interesting anecdote that went to show you that, you know, NASA is really willing to discuss where they can improve. That's very true. In fact, I'll, I'll, one, one of the uh, tweet ups I was honored to go to, uh, uh, John Yammer pulled me aside and asked, so what did you think of this one as opposed to the, the other? One of the other ones that I, I had, I also was lucky enough to to attend, and this was at at the Johnson Space Flight Center. Obviously, there was no launch. It was the first tweet up that there wasn't a launch event at, and I said this was actually, and um, I've said this on this program a couple of times. This one was actually, I thought, a little better than some of the launch tweet ups. I, you know, than than the last launch tweet up I went to. Because this one at the Johnson Space Flight Center profiled what Johnson does best. Mm-hmm. Okay, it, it's it and and the one over at KSC did profiled what KSC does best, and the two missions, although connected, are very different. KSC is really good at getting spacecraft ready for flight and making sure that the spacecraft leaves the pad. And and gets to orbit, you know, in one piece. Johnson makes is operations. They make sure that the spacecraft, you know, does what it needs to do while while it's while it's you know in 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 orbit and making sure that the crew is okay and and all that. They do what they do best, and they so you know to say that. Uh, but I guess what he was really looking for was, you know, even though this thing didn't have a launch, was it was it was it spectacular? And and I think I think I kind of drove that that point home and said, yeah, this was just as good. So again, to to drive what you folks were saying, um, yeah, they were always looking for for hey, how we you know, and it, you know, for us old school guys who remember the mayor Ed Koch around here saying, hey, how 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 am I doing? You know. Uh, that's that's essentially what NASA was asking. And that's Don't- a real key because they, they've had incredibly different types of events. The, the first one at JPL obviously didn't have a launch that it was specifically for. That was um, – which, which mission was that, Kat? Do you remember? I don't even know if it was a mission. A mission. I think it was just a – Come see what JPL is doing. I'm not quite. It not was. Yeah. I thought. I thought it was some something oh, Mars it? focused. It might. I don't think it was Phoenix. It was something else. But I, yeah. I, I, I think it was an. I, I think Cat's right. I think it was an open house. But because uh, I went yeah. to a because um, my first tweet up was actually not a launch tweet up. It was a J, another tweet up at JPL, and it wasn't a mission focused one either. It was just this is what we're doing at JPL, and to this day, it is still one of the 
if not the best, one of the better events at NASA I've ever been to. And of course, JPL is just so great at public outreach. They really excel there. Um, so it's, it's no, you know, surprise that I, I found it so, you know, so great, but yeah. In they fact, were- my first tweet up was in New York city, not at a NASA center or anything. Gene, I think you were at that one with me. Yeah, I was. You? Yeah. This was, and- you're talking about the, the, uh, world, the world science, event that they World have. Science Week, yeah. Yes, exactly. And uh, we had John Mather and a crew of astronauts came and it just showed you didn't yeah, really Sandy, need to... I think it was Sandy Magnus was Yeah, there, and Leland uh, Melvin, right, I think. Exactly. And um, it just showed like you didn't even have to be in a NASA center for them to put on a great event. I mean, we got to... Uh, Brian Green came and talked to us and we got extensive time afterwards to talk to the astronauts. They hung out for about an hour after the event was over just to hang out and talk to us. So uh, having, you know, the way that they managed to structure events that even aren't at all connected to a NASA center, it's pretty spectacular that they can keep the interest up so high. Yeah, we're running, we're running into, uh, in, in, into time here, but, but, really, <laughs> but really fast, uh, one thing that, that was that I, I was kind of thinking about, uh, and, and Kat, you mentioned this a little bit, but I, I guess my, my two final questions are this. One, how does the, the normal – I don't want to say normal space advocacy because I, I worked with NSS eons ago. Um, how does NSS, uh, Planetary Society, even Penny for NASA, how does it go ahead and leverage all of this – this stuff, all of these people that are looking to go ahead and really become space advocates and very strong ones. I mean, NASA, as you, as you said, has got 7 million followers. Now, not everybody in there is in that pool is going to want to go ahead and you know, write congressmen and things like that. But there's going to be a, a good majority of them that want to be you know, involved more. Do you, how, do you, how, does, how do the NSSs, the planetary societies – folks like that leverage all of those folks in your opinion you have to make it easy and accessible it's really funny on the way home today from from uh, my university i was listening to a story on npr about how charity water does its outreach um and they changed the terminology because the biggest group that nasa targets or that follow nasa um, and this is just from looking at it. I don't have any hard data to back it up, but because I do research in this area, I can tell who uses social media. Tends to be millennials, and, and they're actually the ones that NASA should be targeting because they are the largest generation. Um, they ha- will have more money than the other generation coming, um, and so they'll have more political influence. You have to make it easy. It can't be a long process. If it's write a senator, it needs to be a one-page thing. Write a senator. If it's an event, you know, it needs to be well-organized. If you want people to donate, you need to stop using the word donate. Millennials don't want to just do something passively. They want to be involved. You want to say, hey, make an investment on behalf of space advocacy. Because that makes the person giving that money – because. Let's be frank, space advocacy is going to cost money to send people or to send lobbyists to the Hill to advocate on behalf of space exploration costs money. So you say, you know, partner with us, give us an investment, and then you follow up on that and say, this is how your investment is doing. This is what we've done with your money. So, I mean, really, it comes down to you have to realize who you're targeting and I think the other people, you know, Gen Xers and baby boomers, they're going to come along. But if you really want to do effective advocacy today, your advocacy has to focus on millennials. And millennials are looking for things that are easy and quick, but also things in which they feel that they actually have a part in. And that's, you know, they don't want to get something in the mail. And I mean, I love what the Planetary Society does, but every time I get something in the mail from them, I'm like, could this not have just been an email or a tweet? Or why are you sending me more mail? Because it just kind of becomes part of the junk mail that you're like, why are you spending money on direct mailings? And not to say that direct mailings don't work because they do have a specific focus and they do work. But in order for advocacy to succeed in the modern age in which we live, it has to be 
clean, efficient, and it has to invite a partnership. And my my last question for the night is: Where do we go from here after this research? Where do you if 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 you guys wanted to go ahead and and sort of build on what you've done? What would be the next step? Or if somebody else wanted to pick up the baton, what do you see as the next step from from this point? It really has to be the communication aspect. Because I think anyone who is involved with space or space exploration understands that it's important. But the general public does not understand why there is a benefit. And to go forward from here, to go forward in research from here, you're going to have to focus on the communication aspect. Why isn't the message translating from the scientists to the general public? Personally, I think we've bifurcated the STEM disciplines from the humanities and the arts, and that bifurcation hurts all of the disciplines. Um, so I think you're going to have to look at like how do people communicate, and how do you communicate the personal benefit of space exploration and the societal benefit of space exploration. So you have to look into science communications and science communicators. And I really think that that doesn't happen until you kind of heal that bifurcation, until you get people in the arts making space part of our culture, or when you get people in the humanities getting in there with scientists and saying, well, this is how we can communicate this. So I think that's where we have to go from here. We need to have studies and we need to have people looking at how the message is communicated and how do we make sure the correct message is communicated. Because, you know, scientists can tell us, you know, about space, but the humanities and the arts can tell us why space is important. And I really think that's where we have to go next. We have to learn how to be better science communicators. Mark, any final words, sir? Anything you want to want to add or or ask or anything like that? Now the timing is great to talk about this. I think we're we're certainly not at the beginning. We're not at the end. We're in the middle of something that's going to change our world. And I appreciate the expertise and the time that that Cassie and and Kat have put into this. Cassie, Kat, if anybody else wants to learn anything more about. Uh, what your folks put together and, and your research, uh, where would they go and uh, how would they go ahead and pick up the, the copy of the paper if they want to go ahead and take a look at it? Well, the paper I will upload to my academia.edu website, um, which can be accessed through my personal website, uh, which is katherinerobison.com. Um, I'm not sure if Cassie will be putting it on his website, on her website, but I'll have it academia.edu is public and accessible, so you could download a copy of the paper through there. And also, we were planning to... Uh, Kat and I started a website a few months ago that is called geekgirlsnightout.com, and we're planning to write something on this to that, so I'll make sure to have a link to the paper uh, so people can check it out through that. And also, if people want to go check out geekgirlsnightout.com, uh, I just put up an article this week on Elena Sarova and uh, the history of women in the Russian space program, as well as uh, talking a little bit about Samantha Cristoforetti and her upcoming mission. So listeners might be interested in that. And we're going to do a follow-up to IAC on there since we were there together. Yeah, can, so yeah, that's how you get the paper. And you can always find us on social media as well. Cassie's at uh, on Twitter at, at Craftlast. I'm uh, on Twitter at, at Kat Robison, which is much easier to find if you spell it Kat Roe Bison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Doug Ellison, for that. But, you know, we're happy to, to share this research. Both of us really feel like research is much better if it's not behind a paywall. So we're happy to share our, our information. Uh, just get a hold of us. And we're we're both, you know, interested in talking to people about how to put more of this into action, because obviously this is something we're very passionate about. So if people who are listening to this have questions, just, you know, find us on social media, ask questions. We'd be happy to talk to you about it. Sounds grand. Uh, Kat Robeson and uh, uh, our dear friend uh, Cassie Tamanini, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us tonight on Talking Space and Kat, the door's always open for you if you ever want to come back, please. In fact, <laughs> I may, I may, I'm now asking you to come back because we, we, we do want to, I, I do want to talk to you folks about uh, IAC since, since we weren't there and uh, uh, 
so this way we can get a, a good idea of what was going on for our audience. So I'm 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 definitely going to have to ask you back for uh, for your insights into that. And Cassie, please by all means. I, I would like to that. add just two little things here, which is first of all, thank you, Talking Space, because Talking Space is the reason I could go to IAC and experience this, and you supported our paper, which we're very very grateful for, and also. An interesting thing to wrap up our paper is that, you know, Kat and I went to IAC, both of us believing very strongly in diversity and that we need to be more interdisciplinary and need to work on communication. And when we got to IAC, it turned out to be one of the major themes of the entire Congress. Yeah, absolutely. And that was incredible. We ended up talking to uh, Susan Chidekowitz of uh, Women in Aerospace. And that was her entire message. So it's interesting because it seems like people are really coming around to this idea that communication, it needs to stop being secondary. It needs to become a priority if we're ever going to move forward. And that's true well outside of space when you're talking about anything to do with science and engineering and our past and future. We need more communication. So I just want to impress upon everybody that message. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to say thank you, too, very much, you know, to Talking Space because, you know, you guys enabled Cassie to be able to be there. And I just personally have to say thank you to uh, Youngstown State University who made it possible for me to actually attend IAC as well. And obviously, we both owe a huge thanks to NASA HQ, specifically Johnny and Brick, and then NASA JPL, social media, Veronica and Steph and Courtney, who are just amazing. And to add to the Mutual Admiration Society, uh, <laughs> I want to go ahead and say thank you both for mentioning us. Uh, it, it, I, was, I saw that in the paper and I was, I was quite, you know, quite honored, so thank you very much. I was proud to add it to my name <laughs> and hopefully get you guys a little publicity as well. <laughs> well... Regardless, uh, I was I was quite touched. So thanks uh, again, folks. Thanks so much for uh, for being with us and uh, for all you uh, out there uh, for listening. Thanks so much for being here and have a great night wherever you're at. Thanks a lot. <laughs>